Hey everyone, hope Taurus season is inviting some moments of slowness and gentleness. As this crisis continues, the way in which we treat ourselves is one of the armors we have that can protect us in this moment. So don't forget to love on yourself. You're tuned in for another episode. And today's guest is a creative director whose work archives and reinterprets the stories of indigeneity, the black diaspora, and the inherent queerness of our ancestral communities. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. Hola. Hey, hey. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, well, Cynthia, you're in Mexico right now, so thank you for hopping on early, bright and early. <laughs> Oh, girl, my day starts much earlier. Uh, we'll get into that real quick. But for folks who might not know you or who don't know enough about you, um, walk me through a little bit of your own personal journey. How did you get here? And what are some of the principles that inform your work to this day? Such a big question. <laughs> um, where do I start? So I grew up in... Um, Hawaiian Gardens, which is a barrio adjacent to Long Beach. So it's like literally one foot away from each other. Um, and the neighborhood is Mexican, pure Mexican, um, to the point where it, it's called Hawaiian Gardens, but they would joke that it was Michoacan Gardens because <laughs> everyone was from Michoacan. Um, and when I was 19, I went to San Francisco to go to college. And then um, I worked throughout college, I worked in education and always doing like nonprofit work, working in low income schools and doing like mentoring um, and really just wanting to give back to what I considered my community. So it doesn't matter where in the world it was. It was like, if it's a low income community, there's black and brown people, like, that's where I'm from. So um, I spent a lot of time in, in various communities that resemble my own. And when I graduated from college, I then started working for this nonprofit that I worked for as an undergrad, and I became like a program manager. Mm -hmm. And so if any anybody familiar with nonprofit programming, you get the whole trajectory, you know, like you start as like, someone working in the program and then you just put in a billion hours and they're like, Hey, do you want to be a program manager? And there you go. And, um, sort of like an insecure, how she talks about, they love having people of color working there, mm -hmm. um, to be like this. And this is our person from the hood who made it, you know? And then from there I went to, um, I moved to Hawaii to do my master's in early childhood education and nonprofit administration. And then um, we went back to LA for quick pit stop because my mom um, had brain surgery. Wow. I went back to take care of her. And then during that time I was substitute teaching. So like just really in and out of schools mm -hmm. like for a while. And that was really my passion was educational reform. And I really um, saw saw it as you know our civil rights movement educational reform is really looking at how we can change schools that are historically low performing low income 
um, and try new ideas in terms of education, administration, implementation of practices. And then from there, I went to Newark, New Jersey. Wow. And um, yeah, and piloted this program. Became my baby. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Um, and piloted a program for low performing schools um, and um, like really working closely with administrators on how they were giving teachers feedback and um, just providing a feedback loop mm -hmm. for the teaching staff. And then from there, I took that to New York City and was working with um, Title I schools in New York, which are again low performing schools. So that was really where my passion was for a really long time um throughout but throughout that whole time i was also you know like many of us i was hustling on the side in terms of like doing my creative work i was helping my friends produce fashion shows i was taking photos i was just doing anything and everything that i could to you know explore what was interesting to me creatively creatively and um, it just got to a point where the two worlds sort of like could no longer exist together. I was at that point, I was the COO of a charter school, high school in the Bronx. Ooh. Yeah. And my day was like 5.30 a.m. out the door, you know, be back home by like seven and then start my like second life, which is like, oh, I have to go to this event. I'm helping to produce this event. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. So it was just getting to the point where the two were just um, conflicting so much and I knew I had to choose one. And um, my work in education, I had I had just hit a wall where I was burning out. And that's the other thing about nonprofit work, you talk to anybody who does nonprofit work, um, the burnout is so real. I think the, I think the trajectory for any nonprofit job, like you hit a maximum of two years, like before you burn out and you're on to the next thing. Um, just because you really, if, you know, if you're passionate about the cause, you give your entire life to it. Um, so I just got to a place where I just didn't feel good about the work I was doing. I was constantly fighting with our board of directors. Um, I was, I, I was doing all of this work. It was a new charter school. And so I was doing all of this work that was then being used by all the other schools. And when it came time for me to get a raise and have my, um, have my work evaluated, they were like, yeah, you're setting the standard for everyone and you're doing all this great work um, and here's your raise. And it was like 0.01%, something ridiculous. And I just happened to know that that somebody I worked with who was a man and white um, had gotten a significant raise. And this was someone who was like out the door at 4 p.m. Mm -hmm. every day. And um, I was like, you know what? This is not fair. This is like what's happening in this place. And I was, I was a, a voice all the time. I was always like, what's happening? Why is this happening? Why are you treating us this way? And I just realized like, I'm beating my head against the wall. Um, and like I said, at that time, my other work was just becoming sort of relentless as well. And I found that I was much happier doing my creative work and realized that it was also a way for me to 
contribute to um, the changes that I wanted to see in society by just being a, a presence, being a face in the creative industry that, you know, at that time, you didn't see a lot of us anywhere. You didn't see our faces. You didn't hear our voices. So um, I made the decision to walk away from a career that I had built for, you know, almost 10 years and um, walk away from an amazing paycheck <laughs> and benefits and everything um, to be happy, you know, to, to really pursue what I, what I felt made me happy. And so that's how I got into creative work. Um, and I was freelancing, which I had never done, which was really scary. Mm. I like didn't tell my family what I was doing. I just did it. And um, it, was, it was pretty scary. But, you know, after about a year of freelancing, um, doing production work, um, working on random stuff, really random stuff. Um, I got a job at Dover Street Market in New York doing all the special projects. So, you know, in, in the span of a year, I went from working, you know, overseeing operations at a high school in the Bronx to working with Ray Kawakubo. It was, it was, um, it was like a dream. It was like I had really manifested this life that I had dreamed about for a long time. And I did that for almost two years. And afterwards, <laughs> see him, husband? He's like, the baby. Um, uh, after that, I left that job in order to um, work with my husband. At the time, he had a creative agency called Street Etiquette with his partner, with another partner. And um, I did work with them. We did production, styling. It was just like, hit the ground running with that and then at some point through that we just we're having these really serious discussions about the clients that we were working with and um just being really frustrated about the way that they would talk to us or things that i would notice about the way that the client would talk to travis and his partner josh and they were like you know two young black guys um running their own creative agency, dealing with like really big budgets, um, you know, really important work in terms of representation. And the way that clients would talk to them was so out of pocket. And so we would go home and have these discussions and um, fantasize about doing our own work that had no limits, that had no budget attached to it, that had no like client attached to it. And that's really how Maroon World came to be we, we started just taking pictures because we wanted to see ourselves reflected in a way that was um our own gaze that wasn't something someone asked us to do or wasn't something the client was like well that's a little too much for um this campaign maybe we scale it back a bit or tone it down you know all that sort of like passive aggressive language you hear um when you work with people who are not from our cultures who don't get it, but who, who need it to have that cachet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's such a difference for you all being the people that are more in control and sort of are calling the shots around what is the direction that we want? What is the story that we want to tell with our work rather than, you know, the typical story, which 
which a lot of our folks, you know, sometimes have to like navigate through where it's like big brand comes in and they're like, we really want some black models. We want some brown folks. Let's make it cute. Let's make it sexy. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's like a taking back of, of control and autonomy. And you said that you all founded the collective that now you both run, Maroon Worlds. Um, you know, I'm a person that's very interested in sort of words and namings, what people, what brings people into certain language. And I'm really curious for you to share with listeners why Maroon Worlds, um, what, what that means for both of you. Um, very specifically, it sort of started when we started talking about having kids. And um, we were Googling like black and Mexican babies <laughs> and, you know, just like doing research. And um, we found these paintings that were done in Mexico in um, at the time when um, slaves were being brought to Mexico and there was a lot of race mixing going on. The Spanish were here, um, you had the indigenous people, you had the Africans who were now free. Um, just, you know, various ethnic, ethnic groups. And there are these series of paintings called Gasta paintings that documented all of the different mixing and all the different names that they had for the babies. So uh, an indigenous baby with an uh, African um, mix was called El Cimarron, mm -hmm. which which is loosely translated to a maroon. Um, and so we were fascinated by that. Obviously, my husband is West Indian, very familiar with the maroon people. Um, and there are maroon people all over the world, which, you know, if you are unaware of the maroon people are um, former, formerly enslaved people who managed to escape slavery and build their own communities. And those communities were called maroon communities. There's even like a novella. We actually were watching it on Netflix one time. Um, La Esclava Blanca. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's a terrible name for uh, um, the novella. It's, called, it's basically like the white slave. But, um, and it's all about the Cimarron people who adopted like a white, a white girl. Hmm. So, you know, throughout the world, there are communities of Maroon people and so one of the things that we're always talking about um, from the jump from when we started dating is just even though we're we're from you know very different backgrounds they're so similar and there's so many similarities between them um in just being ethnic people being people who have a very distinct culture from what you consider american culture um that that uh, those those um those areas in which we overlap mm -hmm. are so similar, you know, whether you're Asian, you're Indian, you're indigenous, you're black, you're Latino, like the, there are so many areas that we overlap. And, and in those ways, um, we have to celebrate those things, right? Like those are the things that bring us together. Those are the things that we recognize in each other and in our communities. Um, and if you look at all of us right now, most of us have friends from, all different ethnic groups, you know? And it's really a testament to how similar, you know, so many of us are raised regardless of where we're from. And so for us, Maroon came to represent this idea that like 
even though we were all in this place together, we're all in the United States, we're all um, maybe in in cultures that are dominant that don't speak to us, um, that we could escape from that and have our own community. Yeah. And so that's why we called it Maroon World. It was like, this is our, this is our safety. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, and I think you brought up some, a lot of important points. I mean, I feel like it's super important to acknowledge and recognize like, A, there are black folks everywhere <laughs> and B, like the, like the diasporas of these communities are literally everywhere, you know? And, and it really is a feat of resistance that with the dark histories that like you said, a lot of these different communities share that somehow we've been able to just anchor up and like expand and grow and flourish against all the odds stacked against us that mm -hmm. yeah it should be celebrated and more importantly it should be celebrated by ourselves like for each other right not just like by white corporations that want to make a check because you know it's x and yz month or or you know now white folks have caught on to the idea that all the swag all the style all the fashion all the forward thinking always comes from these communities and comes from like working people um yeah so yeah whether or not they want to whether or not they want to admit it or acknowledge it they know they know where it's coming from and anybody who's been in a meeting with any brand and has seen a mood board like they know exactly where it's coming from yeah i feel like they like to act a little bit more clueless than they really are um, for their own convenience, but you now are you're like I said you're all the way in Mexico and so I'm Mexico. Uh, I know you're Mexican, but you were living in New York and just hearing your story, you've sort of like been in all the different types of places, all the different types of cities in this country, and now you're abroad. Just so interested in hearing how has that transition been from New York City to Ciudad Mexico. Uh, I love both cities. I think these days I like to Mexico more. Um, and yeah, what what feels like home to you? That's a really interesting question, especially right now, um, where we're so far from so many of our friends and our family. Um, you know, I think both places feel like home ideally when we first moved we well when we first came here um travis who was the one my husband who was like let's move to mexico city i'm ready to go and i was like no let's just go for a few um months let's go for the winter i was like i'm down for the winter but because i was like you know new york is where we work this is where our community is um but after being here for a month, I was like, oh, okay, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to do this. And so the move was not necessarily something where we knew 100% we were going to move here and, and um, you know, change our lives so drastically. But um, we were going back and forth to New York a lot. So every four to six weeks, we were in New York working. And... This is, you know, the longest period of time we've been in Seda and Mickey's, like, for, since we've moved here. Or maybe after, I, when I came back the last time, um, after I couldn't leave anyone because I was pregnant, 
I don't know. It's, it's so it's so surreal. Like the other day, Travis was just saying to me, like I miss feeling like I live in Mexico City because we're indoors mm-hmm. all day long. And even though we hear, you know, the the trucks coming by, like refrigeradores, estufas, like they're trying to buy stuff. Or you know, we hear like at nine nine p.m. they come by with the tamales de Oaxaca. Like even though all those things are still in place, it's like we don't get to walk around. We don't. Part of part of the joy of being here is being in the community and walking around and you know saying hi to the guys that sell tacos on the corner or like literally in our neighborhood we're friends with everybody who works on the street. You see them every day. You know, again, just the other Travis was like, you live to be like neighborhood tent. I'm like, yeah, live to be like, oh, look on the side, you know. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things that makes it feel so homey here is just the people. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's the same with New York. You know, New York, I was just talking to another friend about this. Like the New York that I love and miss is not necessarily the New York that exists anymore so I've been sort of dealing with that throughout this um, crisis as well you know just saying like I do miss New York so much but what I miss about New York is not necessarily what is real it's more the feeling my people um, but do I miss like my insane rent and you know hustling like crazy to make sure that you're doing okay like no I don't miss all that yeah and I think that's why I even said a little just ago like you know I think New York for me so long for so long was like you know like this eccentric place and we've all heard all the stories and it has you know so many legacies and every borough has its flavor and ah the food and the bars and you know the list goes on but I feel like I've as I've gotten older and shifted a little bit of my lens. Now I'm like, huh, it ain't all that butterflies and honey in New York. <laughs> There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of struggle. Yeah. And it's not just about the pace, like, but you know, now that I I don't know, I think my priorities have shifted and I have so many, so many amazing people I love there, but to see how hard people have to work just for the basics. And really like rent and to see you know how limited people are while also at the same time working these 15 hour days plus commuting you know into the city and then back to brooklyn and 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 the pace is crazy and i think as we're getting older we're at least i am starting to feel a little bit of the wear and tear of like the sleepless nights and working all the time and and, and the anxiety like all of that feels so much more real that I feel like the last couple of times that I've been to New York, I've had a very hard time. Like if, if I'm like, oh, it's not that fun anymore. Like I, I'm happy I'm seeing y'all, we're having a good time, but I can't see myself situated here. Cause now I feel like yeah. a lot of my goals is like, how can I help, how can I position myself to chill the fuck out more? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, like major. Major mood, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was it for us too. Is like, how do you, you know, in the past, people would leave the city to move to Brooklyn, and it would be more affordable. You could have a family, etc. But at this point, it's like you know, 
of rundown houses is $1.8 million if you're lucky. Ridiculous. You know, like, that's not, I'm just not interested in that, you know. And while New York is always going to feel like home to me because that's where I really feel like I was able to be myself, to, to grow up, to just discover so much about who I am and how I wanted to, to live my life. But it's, and I mean New York City specifically, you know, because we often talk about, well, what if, we, what if we went upstate? What if we, you know, because his family is there. And um, we talk about a lot, like, what if we've got something upstate? What if we were closer to your mom? You know, like, um, those are all options still on the table because who knows what's going to happen. Right. After all this is through, like I said earlier, Mexico is just entering, you know, the the third phase, they call it, of, of the quarantine here. So who knows how, how long that's going to be or if we're even going to be able to be here, you know. Right. But you know, I, there's, while it doesn't feel right for me to 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 have the life that we had before, like living in Brooklyn, paying a crazy amount for rent, especially now that we have a son, like really you're, like you're saying, your priority shift, like I want land, I want a farm. I wanna have my own vegetables and fruit and trees that are mine. You know, I think back to my grandmother had a, um, a lime tree, a lemon tree, like little um, bushes of chile, mm-hmm. and different ones. Like, and she would just be like, "Oh, run out and get me this." And that, and now I'm like, "Wow, what an amazing feeling to be able to do that for yourself." And that's what I want. You know, a, a loft in Soho might be nice, but that's not at all in my in my ambitions. You know, I want to be able to be outside, especially in this lockdown. You realize how how valuable it is to have access to land. Uh, I can't agree more. I feel like, I think I'm like, at this point, um, probably the most annoying person on my group. There's another one and she's also Boricua and she's a gardener and farmer and all stuff. So she's she's on that same tip. But now, exactly to your point, I'm like, you know, if I want to start a family in a couple of years, like what what is it that really brings fulfillment and brings this sense of like, flourishing for our family and it's like community but there's also this conversation of land like I live in Miami and although we aren't the New York or San Francisco just yet we're getting there you know every single day I mean people are paying thousands of dollars for an apartment for one bedroom Um, and the amount that we pay now it's it's scary you know it makes you think like okay what 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 will this look like in two to three years? I mean, how much are we going to be expected to pay for rent? And then if you put a child, or if you're planning on maybe two children at some point, you're like <laughs> the the numbers don't add up at all. And I think what's hard for me, I think where I, I feel like the tug of war is like on one end, you know, I've just I've been gardening, I'm trying to learn all these things, and I'm like, you know what? I just want to say fuck it goodbye to the city we had a great run this will always be home i love this place but like it's just not sustainable long term i want to get a little lot that i can afford build something grow and like build a family but then you know then the other side is like you know without your people 
it, it doesn't feel doesn't feel the same you know it's like mm-hmm. it, those are kind of like the contradictions at play I'm really like I'm curious how y'all have sort of are trying to navigate it like knowing that a lot of your homies and a lot of people like all like the Thea's right are in yeah. another city and and yeah I think like there's something very communal about raising a child how I think of it that there's a real need to like okay I do need to have my people so I'm like, damn, if everyone's going to say Miami, I guess I have to. I think that was, that was actually one of your questions, like what I wish people talk about more, about having a child. And like, hands down, it's that you there is no price you can put on having a community because we don't have a huge community here. And it's really hard. And we went back to New York in February 10th to show that short film we did. And my friends, it was like, I could cry thinking about it. My friends were like, you and Travis need to go have dinner. Like, we'll watch him, like, go get out of here. And like, literally came to the house, brought food, like pushed us out the door. And it was the first time we had had time to ourselves. We didn't even know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> and we went, we walked out, we we're staying in Williamsburg, um, at my friend Vivian's and she lives right on the water. So it's like this gorgeous view, but we're not even, you know, we're not even focusing on that because we're just so, um, you know, on a schedule with the baby. And we like, they push us out the door. We're like, okay, I guess we'll go to dinner. And we start walking around and we see a bookstore. And we're like, oh my God, let's go look at books. Mm-hmm. We haven't done that, you know, in however many months. And we literally just sat in a bookstore looking at art books and talking about what we were looking at, which sounds so silly, but it was it was amazing. Like we we felt so happy, we felt so invigorated, and just having that opportunity is not it's not something we can do here, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the hard part about being here, and is why we often talk about what would a return to New York look like because that help would be invaluable yeah and and I also always am like I have the utmost respect admiration all the words for single moms because I have a whole other person in the house and I am tired (laughs) (laughs) ah very real ah very real yeah Yeah. um on our end um there's not many babies like in the Fempower family. We have maybe one, and now we're another one is is was due almost two weeks ago, but Taurus season, and she's waiting. But um, yeah, we're really excited to just like ah, you know, bring bring the baby in and and nurture her and and have all of this. But to your point, I mean, talking to friends, it's like I am exhausted. <laughs> like I am so tired. If you're considering this love it and also not gonna lie to you and i'm like okay i appreciate all the honesty i welcome it yeah when people tell you when you're pregnant like oh get all the rest you can now it's almost like a joke and it's like what you were saying earlier too like people are like oh your life is over you know all these kind of like kind of vague threats or just like you know vague sort of passive aggressive comments about how your life will suck which in some aspects, yes, you are tired. Your child is learning how to function 
within their circadian rhythm and you know they're trying to understand what it means when they cry and you don't come or you do come and and so you just have to take that day by day and I do you know I'm sure as many moms do I do a ton of reading I watch videos I'm like trying to figure out how to make this easier for him um, but understanding there are no shortcuts is a human being, you know, and he's not on my schedule. So I just had to figure it out, but yeah, that's hard. However, that doesn't mean that you don't have moments where you are happier than you have ever been, you know, or like there are times where I'm exhausted waking up and feeding him. And I just look at his face. I've literally been brought to tears. I'm like, okay, sis, you need to go back to sleep. <laughs> but, like, it's it's the most beautiful thing. Yeah. And, yes, it's very hard. It's very, very hard. It's not a lie. It's, it, Travis calls it relentless. It's like, this is relentless. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's a human being. But at the same time, it's like, you, it is going to be what you make it. And we all have the opportunity to be the kind of parents that we want to be. You don't have to be the parents, you know, that you had or the parents that they had or the parents that you saw on TV or whatever, you can, that's the really fun part about this is you're freestyling, right? You're like, okay, well, this is, these are the values I want to teach my child. I want to, we talk about this all the time because we have so many stories of trauma between us, you know, like things that really shifted our perspectives about ourselves in maybe a negative way. And again, it's like our parents were only doing the best they could do. They didn't know better or else they would have done better. And so we can just take those lessons and go, you know what? That happened to me so that I don't do that to my kid. Or so that I'm I'm cognizant of, of the impact that, you know, negative words have or, you know, something as simple as being like, are you stupid? Or like just things like that that are like seem innocuous that are actually very hurtful to you as a child. So... Yeah, it's the most incredible opportunity to to make a change in the world. Like also, like you were saying earlier, it's like in thinking about this, it's like yes, there's global warming. There's like this terrible political situation. There's so there's so many things happening, but at the same time, white people aren't stopping having children. Republicans aren't stopping having children. You know, all all of these all of these um, groups of privilege they have they're not stopping. So why is it that we are questioning our decision to to continue our legacies and to continue our heritage and, and to pass on our culture? Like our our children are going to be the people that we hope for yeah. and that we wish for. You know. Yeah. So that that was really, you know, like I said earlier, we we. We also struggled, like, is this a responsible thing to do to have a child? And the reality is that you have to do what feels right in your heart. If you don't want to have a child, that's up to you. But if you do want to have a child, you also have to understand the the major responsibility that comes along with it. Yeah. Oof, you said a lot. You know, one of one of the key things that you offered, which is something I probably think about every single day. My, maybe for good, maybe for bad is, I remember a few years ago, I think it was 2015, um, 
and I was taking a train from LA to San Francisco. So it was just like reading all the books. And I was reading All About Love by Bell Hooks. And she gets this chapter where she says that essentially our first uh, lesson, our first teacher of what love and nurturing is, is our family unit. But then she goes on to explain that a lot of us, if not most of us, that family unit is in this like butterflies and beauty and you know nurturing and support. It's filled with trauma, abuse, neglect, um, and really dark things. And especially in black and brown communities that have been facing decades and generations and generations of trauma, of displacement, of all the things, you know? So with that in mind, I think a lot of us now are trying to, as like we decolonize our minds, we're like, oh, I actually have a lot of internalized trauma, a lot of internalized shit from, that I picked up maybe from my parents who are also people I might love, but there's like this weird, you know, duality to it. And, and yeah, you're totally right. Like we, we get to, we have the opportunity to offer a new generation, new possibilities of what that family unit can look like. And yeah. and also to your point, um, I also wanted to bring up your work around uh, the exhibition y'all did, Nueve Mujeres, Nueve Meses, because I think it's mm-hmm. totally ties it, ties it up. Tell me a little bit about that. What did that project mean to you in this moment and as you were preparing for motherhood? We started it unknowingly because we photographed our friend Lindsay for the cover of Maroon World, the second volume. And we didn't know it was going to be the cover at the time, but when we got the image back, it was still stunning. We knew like, okay, this is, it's like the birth of something, you know, Um, in terms of like the magazine, in terms of the way, the direction we were heading in artistically, like we just felt it was a new beginning. And when we did that, there was so such a like fervor around the image like people were in love with it and we really thought about that reaction and, and why that was and was, so much of it is because was the photo the one where the child's head is the it's like the crown is coming out or no this was this was um she this one wasn't actually even in the show so she sort of like was this kickoff to it but it's the one where it's like this beautiful woman in a bread bikini and she has long braids and they're like flinging around. And so really we just thought the problem is that we don't get to see pregnant women um, from our own communities in a realistic light. Because so much of what we see is like a pregnancy shoot and someone's in lingerie and like an angel wing. And just like you don't you don't get to see the reality of it, you know? Or, you know, even when I became pregnant, it was like I would when I would research different things, it was like, oh image after image was white women, right? I didn't get to see myself looking back at me. Like what what could that look like? And also um pregnant women are so um are so talked down to and just like made to feel that they have to portray a certain image or be a certain way. And that's bullshit. If we don't have to be a certain way, you can be however you want to be, however you feel good. So 
part of the onus in, in starting this project was like, you know what, we, we just want to show women in their natural environments feeling good, being themselves. Like when we approached it, we would say to everyone, like, we want to capture you doing something um, that makes you feel good or just you relax, natural, you know? And so that's why all the pictures are at home. That's why most of the women, either they're naked or they're in underwear and a bra or something because you really don't want to wear clothes when you're pregnant, especially towards the end. You're just like, I'm, I was in this, I was always wearing like a panty and bra, like walking around my house, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the most comfortable thing. Um, but really we just wanted to show that there is such a natural inherent beauty in this process and such a strength in motherhood. And from talking to every woman, it really helped me personally get over um, stigmas or, or um, these beliefs that I had about being pregnant that just weren't true. And um, I forgot what the word is. When you, there's, it's such a simple word. I'm like, I'm tired. I was up at 4.30. Um, what's it called? Like, if the black cat crosses your path, it's bad luck. What oh, like superstitions. Superstitions, yes. Okay, so I had all these superstitions around being pregnant. And after talking to so many different moms, and everyone was doing everything differently. Everyone was doing it their way. It really, really gave me the confidence to say, like, you know what? I could get pregnant. I could do this because I was so scared. And a lot of it had to do with, I had gone through something as a young um, child. When I was 13, my little sister died um, after she was only five days old. So I had all this um, trauma around childbirth and, you know, and believing these superstitions and and stereotypes about pregnancy, like, oh, if your mom had a C-section, you're going to have a C-section, you know, absolutely not true. It's just, all of these things, um, having the opportunity to speak to different women about their birth plans. I didn't even know that term. I didn't even know, like, you can have a birth plan. You can say, this is how I want to give birth rather than somebody else tell you. Um, it was life-changing. It really changed things for me in terms of how I felt about my own body and my ability to carry a child, Not, let alone be a mom, right? Like, being a mom is a whole other thing, but even just carrying a child seemed completely unfathomable to me yeah so this project really helped with that and then also we wanted to show just that you can do this anyone can do this you just have to believe in yourself which is what all these women were doing and which we hoped came through in the photo like every woman is was believing in herself whether she was gonna have a planned cesarean or was doing a home birth you know yeah, and I feel you. You said um, uh, birth plans, and yeah, that's I down here. Um, one of my really good friends, who I do community organizing with, she's also a doula. So, and we're both like Gemini sisters, so we're just like inseparable. And over the last couple of years, I've just learned so much from her. And as I personally have had more considerations around wanting to pursue motherhood or giving birth in the future um it's been just such a guiding force like and it has completely like you said like 
I had so many, I mean, I think if you asked me five years ago, maybe four years ago, I used to get into arguments with people like, I'm never gonna have a child, da 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 da, -da like, you know, the whole thing. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's a perfectly fine stance, but um, she helped me sort of deconstruct a lot of these things. And yeah, I didn't know any of these things. I was like home birth, you know, I had the typical reaction that most people have uh, but they're like, oh, that sounds horrible. That sounds dangerous. That sounds crazy. That sounds insanitary. Yes. And yes. now I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait for my home birth. Like it's going to be a whole thing. But, and, and it's not just because it's like an alternative and it's not just like you are having more autonomy or agency over literally the act of, of giving birth, but it's also very ancestral. I mean, the idea of like, the idea that the only acceptable way of, of bringing a child into this world is medicated and in a in an ho in a hospital and that that's the only acceptable way is really limiting for for people. So it's just been such an amazing process to sort of question like why do I believe the certain things I do around mm -hmm. motherhood and then learning. I'm like there's so much to learn and it's beautiful. There's so much to learn and that's the thing is is through through my pregnancy and and birthing experience the most important thing i learned is to trust my body and we are so taught the opposite from from birth it's like if something's wrong with you like oh go to the doctor oh only this doctor um with a western medical degree is valid so all the ancestors all of their knowledge all the doulas all the midwives like who have been who who have been working in this for like you know since the beginning of time, because people didn't have doctors in the hospitals, um, all of their knowledge is discounted, and it's really sad because we we ingest that propaganda and it's it's not fair to ourselves, you know. And so there's a lot of unlearning as well that you have to do, um, which is true in all. Sort of areas you know like when you really think about wellness there's a lot of unlearning you have to do about about diet about self-care about everything but but um specifically to maternal health it's like really learning to take um responsibility and believe in your body yeah like listen to your intuition and be attuned to that yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah Oof. I mean, you ha did you use it at home birth, right? Yeah, I did. I did a home birth um, in a pool, in a in a little pool in my in my sala right here behind me. Um, and it was just my husband and my midwife and her assistant. Wow, and that was it. Yeah, it was really um, it's the most incredible experience in my life ever. But it, it did require a lot of preparation. I've never studied so hard in my life for anything. I would watch videos every day, do um, guided meditation, do affirmations. Like I did all the things to make sure I was ready. And, and my, my mother in law was like, okay, well, she keeps hinting for a second one. I'm like, I am not prepared for that <laughs> level of preparation right now. Yeah. I'm, so focused on my one yeah I can't imagine yeah. having the bandwidth to do everything I did to prepare for the first one yeah and I feel like in this moment of COVID and the whole crisis something that a lot of people have 
become aware of or sort of like rethinking is the value of like housework, childcare, like reproductive labor, things that mothers and parents are constantly tasked with. And it's not seen as work. It's just like, it's just what you do. It's just, that's it. And now that people are at home with their children or people are at home with their siblings, it's like, oh my God, there's, there's such an like indispensable value to this sort of work. And it is work um, and it is labor and that's perfectly fine. But I think naming it is important. For, from your perspective as a mother and a new mother, what, what is sort of some realizations that you are coming, coming to terms with in that respect that people might not realize? That people think, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just motherhood, I guess. Right. I mean, I think that I am realizing, I am appreciating my choice in a partner because my partner really just has stepped up in innumerable ways. And I'm so thankful. I'm thankful and I really realize how important it is to partner with somebody who shares your values, not only, you know, spiritually and physically and emotionally, but just like when it comes to simple things like keeping a tidy house or um, the kind of food you want to eat. It's just like, you know, there's so many times where I'm not, I don't have to ask him like, hey, can you do this thing? He'll be like, okay, you got that? I'm going to go do this other thing. So I'm beyond thankful for that. And I think that's one of my major realizations, just how um, important it is to align with somebody. Because, you know, obviously I'm seeing all the memes of people like me and my partner, you know, like getting on each other's nerves. And we definitely do get on each other's nerves as well. But at the end of the day, it's like it's teamwork. And it really doesn't work if you're if you're not communicating the importance of communication can never be um overstated yeah and i feel like historically that has all has not always been the story you know we've so many of us have seen our mothers taking not only just like housework and childcare, but also like traditional work too like whatever it might be and juggling all of that while you know the partnership wasn't always so equitable and and oh, yeah. work wasn't yeah. always redistributed evenly and none of that. So I, like, I, f- I really yeah. do think like our generation is the first that's sort of experimenting with what that really looks like. Yeah, and, and having to understand what it means to communicate your needs. Because that's the other part of this is like, I think so many of us don't, you know, don't have good models of communication. So we think like, oh, this, my partner should know what I want. I don't have to tell my partner but the truth is, is like, you have to say what you need. You have to be explicit about, you know, where your borders are and what you need help with um, in order to get along. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> There's a lot of things we have to learn still. Um, and for you, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about it off off the call and you, you alluded to some of it. For... For folks that are thinking and are still fighting through the binary that either you pursue the act of motherhood or you pursue the act of living your life, um, what's some what's some words you have 
for those people. It doesn't have to be that way. Yes, there are going to be times where as a mother, you know, taking care of your child will be the most important aspect of your day, but it's not always going to be that way. Nothing is ever the same day to day, you know? So it's taken me, us as, as partners, um, a few months to go from focusing solely on our, on our, you know, childcare to now moving into being able to work again because he's older and doesn't need all of our attention necessarily. Um, I just don't think you have to buy into that. I think there's always going to be a way for you to be who you are, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Like what I'm hearing is like, we have to stay rooted in who we are as people and what are the things that move us and drive us. And that motherhood mm -hmm. is just an additional thing that is beautiful, is brave, um, but that doesn't have to like rob from other things. Doesn't have to rob from you being an artist. It can, it can all coexist. Yeah, yeah, that's so real. That's and that's so important. I mean, I shared with you earlier. Like, I have definitely had a lot of conversations, and it's people that I think are progressive and and are saying it from like their best intention, but are very serious when they say like, if you decide to do that, I mean, it's over for you. And it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's that's not. not it's just different. You're your life as you knew it before yes of course it's different because you're adding a whole other human being into the mix but it's not over it's the beginning it's just the beginning of a new chapter of your life yeah yeah is there anything else that you feel you wish you would have been told or that someone would have affirmed you towards more often in this process just how normal it is to not feel normal Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, um, nothing is ever going to be perfect, you know? You don't have to be a perfect mom. You just have to try your hardest. Yeah. And you do that naturally because it's your child and you are, you are filled with this incredible amount of love. Even when you are desperately on your last nerve, <laughs> you... Um, you always at the forefront have in your mind that everything is is going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of us are learning that even outside of the, of the concept of motherhood, like it really is okay to not have it all figured out. No, you're going to cry. You're going to be annoyed at like the dumbest things. You're gonna literally scream into a pillow, like all the things. And then you just keep it moving. Yeah, I mean, like generations before us and like all of our ancestors have done somehow, some way. They've all done it, yeah. And we get to it too. And for what it's worth, it seems like we have been afforded some more tools. So maybe we can carve a little bit of a clearer, better journey for those to come. But I think we'll, I think we'll be okay. I think we always find our way. Well, thank you so much for, for being here, Cynthia. I super appreciate it. I know you're so busy. Oh, hi, cutie. Um, thank you for having it me. It was great having you. So excited for to see the work y'all will continue to make. And hi, beautiful baby. Thank you, Cynthia. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Bye.